a week of market insanity, a growth-oriented budget 2022, and what's cruising at General Motors. This is Vinay Uttam, your resident stock doctor, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Stock Doctor podcast. This was a week, oh, where do I begin? This was a week where the markets openly displayed their insanity. I repeat, openly. It crossed one of the mama ants one day, only to reward another one the next day. One where they went from saying that big tech's party is over, only to change their tune the very next day as the 10-year yields crossed 1.9%. Oh, what a week it was, guys. What a week it was and what a year it has been so far. So let's dig in to find out what happened on our first segment, Doctor's Weekly Snapshot. Now I'm going to give you some numbers here, okay? And and and, and let, let's let's take let's take, let's take a look at what you think. The Dow ended the week with a gain of 1.1 percent. The S&P 500 gained 1.6 percent, and the tech-heavy Nasdaq gained 2.4 percent. Great week for the markets, right? What a week! I mean, I've, I've been I've been throwing weekly losses at you for a while now. So it's a great week to get finally get some po- something positive, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it was definitely not a week for the faint-hearted. I'll tell you that. If you, if you dig in, you would definitely, I mean, you know, it doesn't tell you the full picture. If you thought Apple and Tesla's earnings were contrasting and the reaction to it was contrasting, then wait until you hear about the earnings of Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, and Amazon. You wait until you hear the reactions to that. But before we get to those two, let's start with Alphabet. Because Alphabet's post-earnings reaction was uh, where the insanity of the markets truly began. I mean, if you were to if you were to look at where Nasdaq was going through before everything went crazy, it's got to start with Alphabet. I've always been a fan of Alphabet, especially since Sundar Pichai took over. Yes, there have been a few serious missteps along the way. The regulator vultures are still circling, and the shift to cloud has been slow, albeit steady. But there is something about this company that just says that its future looks bright and beautiful, and the company's recent uh, quarterly performance has only strengthened that belief. The company, the company comfortably beat top and bottom line estimates with revenue coming in at about $75.33 billion versus estimates of $72.17 billion and EPS coming in at about $30.69, which crushed estimates of $27.34. At a time when Apple's privacy changes are rattling advertisers and with Omicron's threat still very much active, Google's advertising uh, revenue registered a whopping 33% year-over-year growth coming in at about $61.2 billion. Uh, What this makes, and we will talk about it later on, is Meta's results even more shocking. The only blip, I mean, if you can call them that, were observed in the cloud and YouTube divisions, with the cloud division registering an operating loss of about $890 million, which was slightly higher than the previous quarter, and YouTube's revenue falling short of analyst expectations. Overall, though, I think it was yet another monster quarter from the search giant. And on top of this fantastic quarter, the company also announced a 20-for-1 stock split, which is more likely to drive an army of retail traders who could not afford the stock before, and that includes me. Remember, guys, a stock split doesn't change the fundamentals of the stock. It simply means that the price per share comes down and the number of, out- a number of shares outstanding goes up in an offsetting way, uh, in a manner that you know, the, so the market cap of the company remains intact. It remains the same. The price goes down offset by the equal number of uh, shares going up, 
market cap remains the same. But because of the split, what does happen is Alphabet's shares, which are currently trading at around $2,865, it'll be available to buy at a little over $140, making it far more affordable for retail traders. You've no idea how long I've wished for such an announcement. And now that it has arrived, I will definitely be looking to initiate a position in this evergreen stock when the split does that, uh, you know, when the split does happen, of course. I'll, I'll let you guys know when it does happen. No, I mean, I, I'm looking to initiate, not because Alphabet had a great quarter. The doctor doesn't play quarterly games. He plays a long-term He plays a long-term game. But because it is a great company capable of growing despite the odds stacked against it. Turns out, Investors concur with this opinion as the stock jumped close to 8% on Wednesday and the Nasdaq gained about 0.5%, quietly continuing its move up for the week. And then Meta happened. Time and time again, I've heard many experts come on news channels and mention what a great company Meta is and how the stock is so cheap. Well, they're not wrong about the cheap part. And after last week, the stock certainly got a whole lot cheaper, post its earnings. How cheap, you ask? 21% cheaper, to be precise. And in my humble opinion, I don't think, and I, I, I truly mean it, I don't think it got cheaper. I just think it got what it deserved. After an earnings that screamed, our growth is slowing down. Let's look at the numbers. Revenue came in at about $33.7 billion, narrowly beating estimates of $33.4 billion. Earnings per share came in at about $3.67, which was a miss on the estimates. The company also lost about a million daily users globally, with growth stagnating in two of the company's most profitable markets, the US and Canada. Daily active users, DAUs, of $1.93 billion, Decline compared to the previous quarter, making its first quarterly decline in DAUs on record, according to CNBC. To make matters much worse, the company also issued a weak guidance with Q1 revenue estimated to be between $27 to $29 billion, representing a growth of anywhere between 3 and 11%. According to the Wall Street Journal, a growth below 11% would mark the slowest period of quarterly growth in the company's history. And remember, 11% is the high end of the guidance. Okay, so it's not very difficult to miss those. While the company blamed a myriad of factors for its horrible quarter, the main culprits behind the decline, according to the company, were Apple's privacy changes and, believe it or not, TikTok. According to CNBC Tech Check's Deirdre Bosa, Zuckerberg mentioned Apple at least 16 times and TikTok at least six times on the earnings call. Just goes to show how important, or uh, you know, how, how I mean, just it just goes to show how you know how Apple and TikTok are keeping Zuckerberg up is what all I tell you. Although Meta is attempting to counter the TikTok headwind by investing heavily in Reels, you see how I roll my R's, uh, yeah. And while the company observed that people are spending more time on Reels, I did it again compared to its other platforms, it's not generating as much revenue as the likes of Instagram. And oh, by the way. <laughs> icing on the cake, the company continues to plan to spend many billions of dollars for years to come. This is the management's words, not mine. On the metaverse. In short, you have a company that is witnessing a decline in revenue, but at the same time ramping up its expenses on a concept that is far from being a guaranteed winner. Yeah, that's not a match made in heaven. It's a nightmare from hell. Add to it the regulatory headwinds that continue to persist and show no signs of going away. 
And you see now why the stock plunged 26% on Thursday, wiping out more than $230 billion, which is a record daily loss for a US firm, and taking the Nasdaq down with it. But you see, that's not what was insane about the week. Not the $230 billion wipeout, no, no. The insanity was well and truly seen on Friday after investors digested Amazon's earnings. The e-commerce giant reported an adjusted EPS of $5.80, which crushed estimates of $3.57, with the bulk of the company's profits for the quarter uh, coming thanks to its investment in Rivian, which had a blockbuster IPO. We've already talked about Rivian way too many times. Revenue came in at about $137.4 billion, narrowly missing estimates of $137.6 billion. Furthermore, the company also issued a Q1 revenue guidance of between $112 and $117 billion, missing estimates of $120 billion. There was some good news in Amazon's fast-growing ad business as revenues grew 32% year-over-year to $9.7 billion. However, overall, if you look at the quarter, it was an okay quarter, not bad, but certainly not great. And this is where I don't get it. This is where it becomes a bit confusing for me. After punishing Meta mercilessly, the day before, the markets actually rewarded Amazon handsomely, with shares climbing by a whopping 13.5%. So let me repeat, report a horrible quarter and you get crushed, but a decent quarter and you get rewarded handsomely? It was as if the investors were feeling sorry for themselves after Thursday that they decided to treat an okay news as fantastic news. Adding to the madness was the reaction to the earnings of Snap and Pinterest. After a decline of 24% on Thursday, Snap saw its shares increase by a whopping 59% on Friday after the company registered its first ever quarterly net profit. Pinterest, on the other hand, surged 12% on Friday after reporting better than expected earnings. But this comes after a decline of about 10% on Thursday. See, I don't remember, and I'm scratching my head here, I don't remember the last time I saw such wild daily swings in established companies, 60% in a single day. What? I mean, early stage growth companies, sure, these things happen quite frequently, more frequently than I'd like, but big established companies that have been around for so long, I mean, witnessing swings of 60% and I mean, surging 12% after a decline of 10% the other day, I don't know when such violent moves have occurred. And with inflation data out in the coming week, one that is expected to set another record, I'm now actually more nervous about how investors would react. I'm also a bit intrigued because, you know, such violent swings is just crazy. Look, for long-term investors, I don't think such, a, such crazy moves make for a healthy environment to invest. So the modus operandi, in my opinion, should be one of wait and watch and be on the lookout for fundamentally strong stocks that belong to the GARP category, GARP standing for growth at a reasonable price. The markets are still unsure and have never really gained a solid footing ever since Fed Chair Powell announced the central bank's intentions to, you know, increase rates. I mean, when the yields jumped 1.7-1.8%, you could see everyone panicking and selling whatever technology stocks they could find, no matter how fundamentally strong they were. On Friday, just to put in things in context, the yields hit 1.9% on the news that Omicron was no match for America's hiring. A big tech giant, Amazon, I mean, Amazon, came, up, Amazon came up with a not-so-great earnings report, more, more, more like meh, and the Nasdaq climbed 1.58%, 
with the likes of Snap jumping almost 60%. So 1.9% yield, tech stocks have one of the best days in recent memories. I repeat, ladies and gentlemen, what I said last week. Logic, where art thou? On that rather confusing note, let's head to the next segment, The Doctor Goes Home. Welcome to the Dr. Goes Home segment. And so we had the budget last week. And what a magnificent budget it turned out to be. It was a budget that acknowledged that India would not get a better opportunity than the current climate to accelerate growth. And it was one that recognized that to capitalize this opportunity of a lifetime, the country would have to spend, spend, and then spend some more. No surprises then that CapEx was the buzzword of Budget 2022, with the government setting a target CapEx of 7.5 lakh crores, which represents a 35% jump from the previous target of 5.54 lakh crores. Furthermore, the CapEx is estimated to be at 10.7 lakh crores by FY23, with investments focused on core strategic areas such as the railways and renewables. Obviously, my main focus area during the budget announcement was in the renewable sector. I mean, after watching this series for a while, are you even surprised at this stage about how obsessed I am with renewables? But to be honest with you guys, it was a mixed feeling for me reading the budget announcements for the renewable sector. Let's get to the exciting news first, which is the 19,500 crore allocation on top of the already announced allocation of 4,500 crores for production-linked incentives for manufacturing high-efficiency solar modules. This, I believe, was one of the biggest highlights of Budget 2022, simply because it was a statement from the finance minister that the Indian government was not messing around when it announced a target of installing 280 gigawatts of solar capacity by 2030. Given the investments from the likes of Mukesh Ambani and Gautam Adani and a host of others in this space, this extra boost should go a long way towards helping India transition from coal. Hey, I wouldn't even be surprised if the 280 gigawatt target was achieved way before 2030. Now let's move to the not-so-exciting bit of the, uh, the renewable space uh, with regards to Budget 2022. There was something in the EVs for, uh, you know, in for EVs as well, with the government announcing a battery-swapping policy to alleviate some of the space constraints for setting up charging stations, you know, which have been deterrence to wider adoption of EVs. While I think this policy is a game changer, make no mistake about it, I just am not jumping out of my seat for this announcement. And you know how excited I get when it comes to EVs. Uh, and this is because there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding the success of this policy. Not to mention that announcing such a complex policy and executing it are two different things altogether. I mean, so while the PLI scheme for solar manufacturing, uh, so solar manufacturing is exciting, I would have much preferred if the budget focused on sorting out the lack of charging stations as opposed to looking out for alternatives. Having said that, nothing would make me happier as an investor and as a citizen than to be proven wrong about this. For now, though, I would be in a wait and watch mode as far as the battery policy goes. Let's move down, you know, let's move outside the renewable space. I mean, I don't want to talk all, only about renewables. Otherwise, you would, you know, you, I should have renamed it Doctor Goes Home. Uh, segment to discuss renewables, or rather doctor goes home to discuss renewable segment. Yeah, so it's not that, it's just the doctor goes home segment. There are things happening in India outside the renewable space as well. And there is a lot to like outside the renewable space as far as budget 2022 announcements were concerned. 
The extension of the emergency credit line guarantee scheme to next fiscal year with an expanded guarantee cover of 5 lakh crores will ensure that SMEs and MSMEs will have that extra support during a phase where they are just emerging from the damage caused by Omicron. The confirmation that the 5G spectrum auction will be conducted in 2022, as well as the data centers and energy storage systems being given infrastructure status, you know, which gives them easier access to financing, bodes well for the telecom space. The announcement of 400 new Gen Vande Bharat trains, along with plans of expanding the national highways network by 25,000 kilometers, is also fantastic news. One that bodes very well for the likes of LNT and Tata Steel. And to be honest with you, any capital goods in uh, metal sector, essentially, overall. Overall, I think budget 2022 was fantastic. And, you know, it gets two thumbs up from the stock doctor. I'm holding my two thumbs up as, as I speak this. Yeah, as, as I speak. Yes, it's it's not a perfect budget. And there are definitely some areas which I thought the government could have done better, such as a mega relief package for the hospitality sector and a more concrete plan for charging infrastructure as opposed to a battery swapping policy. But the fact that this was a growth-oriented budget rather than one that screamed populism makes up for the shortfalls to an extent and signals to the investors, both domestic and foreign, that India continues to be a place to invest. Mrs. Sitaraman, take a bow. With that, let's head to the final segment, Dr. Dissex. Welcome to the Dr. Dissex segment. Keeping up with our latest trend of revisiting some of our past dissections, this week uh, we're going to focus on an automaker that has a promising future, but with a lot of conditions tied to it. I'm talking about, of course, General Motors, ticker symbol GM. The company reported its fourth quarter earnings last week, and it was largely a solid one. Add to that, the management provided a very bullish outlook, pleasantly surprising analysts and investors alike. Let's take a look at the numbers first. For the full year, adjusted EPS came in at about $7.07, and total revenue came in at about $127 billion. The company also generated $2.6 billion in adjusted automotive cash flow. In Q4 alone, revenue came in at about $33.58 billion, narrowly missing estimates of $34.01 billion. Adjusted EPS, however, comfortably beat estimates of $1.19, coming in at about $1.35. Moving on to the 2022 outlook, the company now expects a total volume to increase by 25% to 30% year-over-year, with majority of the increase occurring in the second half of the year with small and mid-sized SUVs and sedans driving the incremental volume in 2022. Commodities and logistics cost pressure is expected to be $2.5 billion, with significant amount of pressure coming in during the first half of FI22. The company now sees an adjusted EBIT in the range between $13 and $15 billion, adjusted EPS to be in the range between $6.25 and $7.25, and adjusted automotive free cash flow to come in between $7 and $9 billion. Capital expenditures are expected to be in between 9 and $10 billion as the company ramps up its investments associated with its EV strategy. So like I said, solid numbers and, you know, a solid outlook as the company transitions into an EV player ready to take on the likes of Tesla. Actually, on that front, uh, there was even more news that should actually cheer uh, investors. I was very particularly interested in, you know, particularly I, I, I like what all these numbers that were coming out. The company is now targeting deliveries of 400,000 EVs in North America over the course of 2022 and 2023 as the company ramps up its production capabilities, especially in battery manufacturing. 
Most specifically, the management announced that its flagship battery technology platform Altium's joint ventures are expected to come online in Ohio and Tennessee in 2022 and 2023 respectively, and production in Michigan is expected to start in 2024. A fourth cell plant that is expected to come online in the US will be announced later this year. The company also provided an update on its existing EV models and, and you know this is, this is a good one it's uh, you know because it, this is the number reservations numbers and they're pretty healthy it's hummer ev which is already in the market has secured more than 59000 reservations its electric pickup the chevrolet silverado ev set to launch in the spring of 2022 already has over 110000 reservations and its flagship electric cargo van bright drop has secured more than 25000 reservations the company also plans to launch the Equinox and the Blazer EV models by 2023. I'm actually really excited to check the Equinox out, not because of anything, but because the management has announced that it will come with a price tag of only $30,000, making it one of the more affordable EVs out there. I'm not sure what the final pricing is going to be, but... You know, Model 3 started at 35000 and they added, you know, the base version was not particularly great. So you had to spend over 35000 But if, if there's, you know, 30000 starting tag, uh, now, uh, now this has got, got my attention for sure. So I'm very curious to check out how the Equinox is going to go by uh, and what kind of demand it can sustain or create. Uh, so while I am super excited about the company's EV prospects, look, guys, I'll be very honest. As things stand, I'm actually invested in GM. I've been following them for quite a while now. Uh, their EV strategy seems to be filled with hope more than actual tangible evidence. And this is where, you know, it's, it's, a, little, it's a little difficult for me to add to my existing position. Um, uh, but even, even though their EV, you know, whatever the management says, looks very promising. So and while I remain optimistic that the company will achieve its EV targets, I'm not saying it, they won't. I'm just more fascinated by things outside their EV strategy, especially what, what I'm seeing in its autonomous vehicle program, Cruise. During the recently concluded earnings call, CEO Mary Barra uh, announced that Cruise has moved one step closer to offering full service as it has started inviting members of the public in San Francisco to sign up for driverless rides. Furthermore, the company has five out of the six permits required to start charging for the autonomous ride shares. The company sees Cruise as a division capable of generating $50 billion in annual revenue by 2030. Whether the company reaches the target or not, the progress made by the company so far offers more evidence than hope, unlike its easy strategy, EV strategy, when it comes to achieving its autonomous ride-sharing objectives. With EV strategy, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing more hope, but in Cruise, there is actually some tangible evidence here, and the progress is just remarkable. According to Kathy Wood's ARK Investments, the auto autonomous ride-hailing market is expected to be an $11 to $12 trillion opportunity by 2030. With the first mover advantage that GM is well-positioned to capitalize on, I would expect Cruise to be a bigger growth driver for the company than its ambitious EV strategy. Yes, it's early days. I'm not saying it's, it's you know, they've achieved it all. And the company is adopting a cautious approach. Management is very, very clear in, in mentioning that as they should be adopting a cautious approach. I mean, it's no easy thing and a lot of lives are at stake when it comes to autonomy, autonomous ride sharing. So while the management, well, the com management, you know, company is adopting a cautious approach towards growing the cruise program, but with a $5 billion line of credit from GM Financial and an additional investment of $1.35 billion from SoftBank, the division is a war chest to play the long-term game. 
Finally, the other major catalyst that I see for the company in the long term is Car Bravo. And I'm honestly baffled that not, not a lot of people are mentioning this uh, in recent times. I mean, I know it, they've just recently launched it, but I'm really surprised that uh, not a lot of people are talking about it. So Car Bravo is the company's used car business in the US and uh, with the ability to serve customers both online or at the dealership, and with the business also including non-GM inventory, this is actually a smart initiative by the company to take on the used car market, which is undergoing disruptions of its own. Now, I'm not sure whether you recall this, but as I mentioned while discussing CarMax in one of the show's earlier episodes, by the way, you can see my full analysis on CarMax uh, exclusively on Seeking Alpha, but as I was discussing CarMax, I did mention that the used car market is expected to be worth around $2.1 trillion by 2030, according to President's research, and is expected to grow at a CAGR, CAGR of 6%. While the industry is highly fragmented, no doubt about it, there's just too many players. Okay, Used car markets is deeply fragmented in the US. The pool of GM, though, and its vast dealership, I believe, offers the company an upper hand against some of the other players. I just think Car Bravo might be the surprise analyst, uh, surprise catalyst, not the analyst, surprise catalyst for the company and for the stock. It, it might be a surprise catalyst that surprises analysts, that's what I meant, for both the company and for the stock. So the big question is, should one invest in GM? I've already mentioned, I'm long GM, I've, I own shares of GM, I've been owning them for quite a while, but you know, is it time to invest? Well. If you look at the valuation, the company is currently trading at a forward EV to EBITDA multiple of 4.3x under the assumption that the company generates an FY22 EBITDA of $26 billion. This multiple is well below the 10-year historical average of about 5.7. And if you take the historical you know, multiple, 5.7, and use it to calculate, it results in an enterprise value of about $148 billion, which translates to a price target of $76, which represents a whopping 48% upside to Friday's closing price. Now, look, I don't want to get too excited with this 48%, uh, you know, 48% upside because the company is most certainly not without risks. Despite the semiconductor issues easing up, the company is still not out of the woods yet. These issues are likely to persist way into 2022. And if a situation like Q3 of last year happens again, where a COVID outbreak in Malaysia left the company with significant exposure, then we might just not witness the 25 to 30% year-over-year increase in production volumes anticipated by the company. The other risk factor, and I've already talked about it, is, and, and it's one of the reasons why I'm not excited to add to my existing shares, is, is that the company's EV strategy comes with a lot of ifs and buts. I'm just skeptical about the 400,000 target that the company has set itself in North America. And I've yet to see any real evidence that GM's EVs are better than its competitors. So I just feel like there needs to be more concrete evidence. Look, I'm invested in GM, so overall, and I, don't, I see no reasons to sell my shares. Overall, I just feel like there's a lot going on at GM. And even if the EV strategy doesn't pan out as it is, I think there's a lot going for the company. A comprehensive EV strategy is taking shape, of course. I've talked about it numerous times. And it, although it comes with a lot of conditions, I know that I can see that the company is doing all it can to ensure that the strategy is successful. But for me, right now, the real highlights are the double Cs, Cruise and Car Bravo. The progress made by the former and the company's decision to use the latter to enter into an explosive market that is undergoing disruptions of its own are what I believe will give GM the edge over its rivals. 
especially since everyone these days is making an electric vehicle. That's all the time I have for you this week. If you have a specific Indian or a US stock suggestion for the doctor to diagnose and dissect, do tweet me at Uttam Vinay or email me on the stockdoctorpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening and see you again next week. Until then, stay safe and make some money.